Hi everyone, I'm your host Srinidhi and thank you so much for joining us today. Today I have Pulkit uh, Arora with me. He's a Senior Associate Director of Product Management at Simply Learn. Hi Pulkit, thank you so much for joining with us today. Hi Srinidhi, thanks for having me. Awesome, great. So uh, the topic that we're going to be looking today is going to be growth product management. So Pulkit, I have a very simple question. Um, what is growth product management and who are really growth product managers? Yeah, so um, like if we dive into the history of product management, it uh, people think that product management is a new concept or a new job role, um, but it started in 1930s actually. So right. there's a person called Neil McElroy who later became mm-hmm. the president of PNG. He uh-huh. um, he named these people as brand men. So he created this memo for the company that I need these people who will be doing brand-based management of the products, um, right. which is very different from what the cliches were. And I'm talking about 1930s. <laughs> so these people were eventually the product managers of modern day. So their responsibility in the memo was tracking sales, managing the product, advertising, promotions, field testing, client interactions, all the things related to all the decision making. And that time, Neil was also advising Hewlett and Packard at HP, the company that we know today. And HP employed this rule in the company that all the decision making should be close as close as possible to the customer and that's why they created pms and that's why hp has this title of a 20 percent year-on-year growth for exactly 50 years 1943 to 93 because because they had product management and customer specific decision making so this did this term evolve way in 1940s or uh, you know, it went through a series and then got fine-tuned into uh, what we call as product managers today. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it depends from organization to organization. And mm-hmm. like the first term was brand men and then it became a little bit of marketing as well. And then it became... So in, in tech organizations, uh, mm-hmm. there were two main things. Uh, one is marketing and product. So marketing was evolved to be more about owning the brand and the customer acquisition and right. product owns the value proposition and the development of the product. Awesome. So these were the two streams. Now came in growth hacking in the middle where you want to do so many things, but you don't have time or money. Okay. So which came popular during the startups era. So that came in like a couple of decades ago. So you have so many startups, you have creative low cost strategies of rapid experimentation and design analysis code. So just to drive few metrics. So in modern day today, growth PMs are really good friends with the traditional PMs, but they are the peers. Rather than owning the product, they own specific metrics of a product or a commercial goal of the product. Right. So if you go to some of the JDs of growth product managers, you, you would see that, okay, create an experimentation roadmap, create user base and which drives revenue by 10x. So it's a right. clearly defined role and a matrix that you have to drive and that's your responsibility. Right. And it's more of a sh- short term analysis of the matrix than more of a long term value. That's the def- differentiation of some sorts of growth PM versus a traditional PM. 
Awesome. That's great. So how do someone become a growth PM? <laughs> so uh, that's a very, very open-ended situation uh, that a PM would have that, okay, am I a growth PM or a normal PM? Or there are, so there are four or five kinds of PMs that companies have started. And I think it comes from the same thing. Like Neil McElroy, when we started in 1930s, he created this memo just to hire more people. It was a justification to hire more people. Right. So today also people say that, okay, I need a technical PM or I need a marketing PM. So although product is a product, so there are components of tech and design and marketing and all those things. So we need people to focus on them. So there's no per se in terms of uh, who can become a growth PM. I would say it's more of a self-awareness thing. Like I'm more of a B2C person than a B2B person. I know about myself. So I, I believe in rapid experimentations and somehow I break the tasks into smaller chunks and iterations. So If, if you do that, then probably you are a good fit for a growth PM. Awesome. And I think you have to be very data-driven. If, if you feel that you are focused more on intuition or maybe you are not street smart, but you are more mm-hmm. of a doer, then growth product management may not be for you. You have to be really street smart and really cunning in terms of business. Like If you really want to move a metric, you have to employ 20 things and 20 experiments to just get that needle moving. Awesome. So again, a very personal question that something that I think about very often is, especially when some companies are in the growth stage, uh, they compromise so much on uh, the money, right? So say, for example, if I'm taking a course on Udemy, it would have ideally been something around 12,000, but uh, just for me to buy, they would have reduced the price so much or they'd have slashed the price so much. Udemy is one example because I learn courses from there. But uh, how do company make this trade-off between adoption versus you know uh, the the money factor that is involved so um, actually again it's very industry specific uh, mm-hmm. most of the courses that you see on udemy right now go in the ballpark of 450 to 800 rupees right right but uh, their real value is decided by whom who says this worth this is worth 12000 like if you go to a normal school for your child um, some fees are like 1 lakh per annum and some fees are like 10k per annum who decides right. this so i decide the value of the product for my target audience right, right? Understood. now apple decides the target audience and apple decides the prices which is premium for probably 40 50% of the people but they feel that they they are giving out that value and that's how they want to position it. So I think sale price is very, I would say is a very fluid term. The actual uh, like sales force, I don't know if I should be saying this, but sales force (laughs) uh, can market the price of to be $25 per annum or $25 per month of sorts, but there have been cases where they give a license for $2 uh, a license, right? So it's a very uh, different ball game when you generate the invoice or when you see it in the website. You you can think on those lines and what value are you providing? And if you're really happy with the value that you're providing for the price, go for it. Probably market will drive you to the right price than you thinking in a room. 
Right. So is it safe to conclude that when you are in a growth phase, adoption is more important than the revenue that it brings? Um, it actually depends. If, if you don't have... Uh, so uh, there are different business models. Like right. there is a subscription business model. There is per um, per user revenue kind of a business model in terms of monthly recurring revenue, annually recurring revenue. So it depends. Right. Like in Simply Learn, we have not switched to sim- um, subscription, by, but Coursera has switched to subscription. So that's a different right. model. Now, right. going towards what do we need? Like my, my response, I take care of whole of global mobile strategy at Simply Learn. Now, right. my... my uh, North Star is not revenue right now. My North Star is acquisition and engagement. Makes sense, right? Because we don't have users on mobile right now. Mobile uh, has to be the next platform for edtech, and that's how uh, I joined Simply Learn because I connected with the uh, the strategy that they are going towards. And I've mm-hmm. been in mobile for a long time, so it makes sense for me to expand in this domain. Right. But um, it, it's a very domain specific or company specific thing, but you have mm-hmm. to keep growing on one metric. Right. I would say growth is very specific to, I'd say some startups need more money. So right. revenue would be their growth and some startups need um, more users. So right. number of MAUs, monthly active users is their growth. Right. Yeah. So awesome. that's a great answer. So, um, Profiling back towards uh, the times that you joined before Simply Learn, so you were a two-time entrepreneur and you had a bunch of cool startups that you were working on. So could you talk to us more about that? Sure. So um, my first startup was called Airport Sherpa. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I when I was leaving Harman after four years, um, I said to my manager, I've been reading a lot of stories about entrepreneurs and startups. Now I, I want to create my own. So let's do this. So I left my full-time job there. And mm-hmm. um, we were the first ones in the US to bring mm-hmm. this concept. Um, and uh, so we were something like in Indian context, it would be grofers in an airport. Wow. So, so there are nice. retailers and there are travelers on the gates. So mm-hmm. how do you connect them within an airport? And you build an experience around their flights and their flight delays, gate changes, like if I'm going from Bangalore to Delhi, I can have a sandwich prepared and ready for me when I uh, land in Delhi through that. Wow, that's nice. So uh, all those experiences were pretty well. And we actually figured a couple of more businesses within um, this proposition. Mm-hmm. Like if a flight is delayed by more than 90 minutes, then your carrier has to provide food for you. So wow. instead of just going one by one orders, we got like 300 orders at once. Wow! So that was something new for us and that played out really well. Right. So uh, whenever it comes to airport, uh, the only thing that hits my mind is the security bit of it. So uh, <laughs> did you have any challenges on that front that you had to, you know, strategically uh, remodel your structure to an extent? Yes. So security and the legalities were the biggest roadblock for us. Um, there's there's no policy inside the airport that... So actually, we, we spoke to San Francisco Airport, the CIO of the San Francisco Airport. 
and she said we do not have a policy for a person roaming around in the airport without a boarding pass or affiliation to a retailer inside the airport right right so so we tried to employ those people who are uh, approved to be inside the airport right and to work on uh, extra hours with mm-hmm. the right payment model coming in so they were freelancing for us so that solved one problem then there were different ways of how retailers were renting out from the airport so couple of strategies had to be applied and we we went live in one airport but then it was hard to scale with all the legalities coming in from the airport authorities as well like if we send a document a legal document to be signed they will come back after 10 days and say okay change this word in this line okay ah, if we change this we send it back in one day and then they come back after 10 days okay now we don't want this because the meaning has changed all this so ah. it used to take like 3 months in signing this one document so yeah but then our, our model was pretty scalable to maybe a fifa stadium or um a large large area mall so so there were funds issue coming in and then we had to sustain the developers so we had some seed round but then it was best to keep sustaining what we have and uh, um just go when market is a little more mature because we were the pioneers in the US and nobody else was even going towards this so it's a so airports have a legacy of 20 year old technology that they are using right now so it, mm-hmm. it becomes quite hard to help them adapt in a year or so right i'm surprised even us has got the same 20 year old system <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah right so uh, how about the next startup parent of yeah so that was a totally different domain um um when i came out of airport sherpa i took a one month break um tried to figure out what i want to do next and right. um, edtech and parenting were the two domains that came to my mind that time and right. if not for parent of i would have had my own startup on parenting but wow. parenting as a business and as a need both ways right. i think it's probably the biggest need of the r right. um so parent of had done a lot of research and a lot of scientific research on uh, what has to be the right data driven way of parenting and uh, I, when i joined hands with them as the head of product then uh, i figured a lot of models which were very psychology driven models we got approval from nimhans which is probably the best authority in india to have mental health issues and parenting and psychology mm-hmm. and um, so we figured that there are 42600 personas of a child possible wow okay that's very mind boggling <laughs> so uh, you your child could be somewhere there anywhere now right. it could be couple of personas coming in and every day could be a new um, situation at your home your child is angry or agitated or frustrated or really happy today and right. you have no clue how to handle that situation right so what we built there was a psychology driven scientific uh, assistant for parents Right. and you could so the assistant will help you understand the real core nature of your child nice. and it will suggest you 
more um, insights that what you can do right now what activities can you do um so we we employed um, a lot of uh, practical situations like what activity would you do at a restaurant um when you're when you're waiting for the food like right. children are just banging the plates and messing around right? right so what you what could you do there or probably when you're going on a trip um just ask a child who's the leader whoever we meet today you have to identify who's the leader like right. the, the person in the uniform or the person who is taking the tickets who's the leader of all of them that's right. as simple as that and right. you will be surprised by the uh things your child would say okay this person is a leader because he or she has done this or he or she was doing this at that time right so we had a huge set of activities and um practical situations that uh we could answer or help parents around that time. right wow that's very interesting awesome pulkit so uh the last question that i have uh, for the day is uh, more on the edtech landscape um i've read so many articles that says that you know edtech is the next big thing but i'm pretty sure that uh, it's a very vast space as such so what are the different spheres in edtech and um what is currently disrupting in this space and where is this space going in the next 5 years okay so edtech being a very umbrella term so um edtech for schools like um for children who want to learn english like byju's have this uh, kids learning app right that's also edtech um you have edtech for college kids who want to get placed somewhere or like an academy is there for exam preparations right then there is edtech for professionals that's what simply learn does Mm-hmm. um you want to get upskilled and be more employable right i mean i can throw up some numbers that just <laughs> that are just mind boggling for everybody like in india uh just one in four indian aged 18 to 24 that's the mm-hmm. college age right? right is attending a college so we have an enrollment rate of just 26% in wow. india right and over 60% of the engineering students who are graduating every year are either unemployed or stuck in an unrelated job altogether and that's True. 60% right 60 so mm-hmm. it it's like and if you go beyond btech the numbers increase exponentially i think i'm able to relate to this on a very whole new level <laughs> <laughs> so i mean the problem that we have in india today is at multiple levels like so the employability demand the 40% of the employability demand is from one year to five years experience persons correct and like 54% of the mbas are employed but right. others nobody knows where are they going why did they even do an mba and spend so much money and their time and doing so much of grueling work for cat and all those preparations but so let's take employability in a different light what does an employer look for mm-hmm. in a person right there are four five main characteristics one is domain knowledge right second adaptability to environment right i'd say third would be learning agility which is probably very very important now that we have very reduced patience thanks to the social media and infinite scrolling and all that right. uh 
we we don't learn as much we just think process and let go think process let go Correct. if you have to react we'll write lol but we'll <laughs> not even make a smirk <laughs> so <laughs> so and then positive attitude because of so many frustrations coming in a lot of people have a lot of prejudice based on a lot of fake understanding of what they have and what the system would be like managers have this persona of that they are always sucking your blood mm-hmm. um and companies always have um lower salary brackets and there's always a company who are giving a bigger salary bracket and your friend is there and you are not there so mm-hmm. all those attitude problems come into play when you are in, in the system right but nobody sees the other side like 53% of the employers even today say that candidate just need the ask they are not like i'm they're not satisfying the requirement 53% right. employers right so it's it's in a bad situation and right. i'll compare it with south korea that's probably my favorite example mm-hmm. the formally trained workforce in india is right. 2.3% Okay. and south korea is 96% wow when you mean formally trained uh, is it something to do with the the level of education that they get yes so formally trained like if you are really trained and skilled to do a particular job what you are doing mm-hmm. right now right like a mason at your who who is doing the civil work have, has yeah. they have they gone through a learning experience no of course not true Right. there's no formal education for any level that you can think right. uh, is really appropriate like how how many times a college graduate feels at home on in the first 6 months of the company when they join true right. right so they are not formally trained to be inside a company they are formally trained to be aware of okay this is also what happens this is also will happen in your company and that's about right. it right so that's like single digits less than 5% is the trained workforce that we have and that's where uh, and nascon says like more than 50% of the people today will have to be reskilled in next 5 years wow okay that means i can stop studying whatever i'm doing <laughs> like i mean yeah i mean you should continue uh, studying more aggressively i think because you are anyways reskilling yourself Right, so true. Right, but yeah, I think relevance to what you want to do. I think the bigger problem is not of education, but a bigger problem is facilitation of self-awareness. That's what right. I personally believe. Like, if you know what you are good at, or if you know what you really want to do, then there is no stopping. That true. self-awareness is not there, which becomes a bigger problem and a bigger challenge for the whole society. Awesome, Fulkit. That was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time, um, and thank you so much for joining us today. And hope you have a great day ahead. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.